Hi, my name's Josiah. For those who you have don't that don't know me, um, today we're going to be reading from Romans ten verse eight b to fifteen. Eight b is just the second half of the verse. Um, the page number is one thousand and four and one thousand and five from the Bibles that can be found at the back shelf. The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him, right, in him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can we, they call on him? They have not believed in. And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Well, if you have uh, Romans in front of you, it would be good to keep uh, that uh, open. Uh, my name's Tim. Uh, I'm one of the ministers uh, here at OEC. I, I regularly go to the 1045 service. Uh, I'm going to open up this passage, but also we'll spend a little bit of time looking at other chunks of the Bible as well. Let's uh, pray before we jump in. Uh, Lord, uh, we thank you that uh, the gospel is good news for people who hear and respond. And so we pray, Lord, that we would hear good news today and that we would be encouraged to share that good news with others. Amen. Uh, well, the story of Bob and James Stockless is a good news story. Uh, Bob and James, it's good news because they uh, grew up in poverty as kids, but uh, they wanted together as brothers to work their way out of it, and so they were committed to their education. Uh, for James, that meant he could climb a ladder. He started as a council street sweeper. He made it to a jury commissioner and finally to a district judge. Uh, but he and his brother went and did this all together. Uh, they were both very family-oriented, and so that meant they spent a lot of time together. And even as they grew up and they grew apart geographically, uh, once a year they'd take a holiday together, they'd go down to Florida, uh, they'd spend some time, they'd play some games, and uh, one day every week, uh, Bob and James would walk down to the local newsagents and they'd buy a lottery ticket together. It was just a thing to do. The real good news in their story, though, is that they both won the lottery on the same day. Uh, James Stockless uh, was the first division winner, and he took out a tidy sum of $291,400,000. Uh, that is a chunk over a quarter of a billion dollars. Can you imagine? Uh, it was not a question of what you'd do with it, it's what you couldn't do with it. There's so much money. And of course, uh, Bob won as well. He won seven dollars. Uh, this, what I love most of all, is that they insisted that they both have a picture together, and this is that picture. A good news can be a funny thing. Whether that news might change on your perspective, two hundred ninety-one million dollars is undoubtedly good news for James Stockless. In fact, it's particularly nice because when they interviewed him afterwards, he said the number one thing he was happy about with that money 
is that he had a son with a profound disability and he said he could go to sleep comfortable every night knowing that even if he didn't wake up, his son would always be cared for. But what about Bob Stockless? Will he spend every night wondering, why did I make that joke when I said to my brother, ladies first, and let him buy the first ticket? What if I had have bought that ticket? Will my brother be generous to me as he is to his son? Or maybe we might not feel just for them, but for the millions of other people who bought a ticket that week and many other weeks, and they keep on buying and they never win anything. Or we could spare a thought for the mathematicians who are driven to distraction knowing that every one of these people has a 1 in 77 million chance of winning the lotto. And every time we have a good news story like this, more suckers start buying lottery tickets. It's great to share good news, but we have to ask that question, uh, who is this good news for? And so this week we're continuing to think about good news. Uh, This is the uh, end of a four-week series where we've been looking at good news. And today we're asking that question, uh, the gospel is good news, but who is the gospel good news for? And so we're going to think about four things today, uh, that the gospel is good news for the seeker, that it's good news for sinners, it's good news for the stubborn, but it's also good news for those who are seemingly self-sufficient. I can't help but put in a bit of alliteration if I get the opportunity. Uh, well, uh, uh, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I started reading my very first Sherlock Holmes novel, uh, The Hound of the Baskervilles, it was called. Uh, and I'd say uh, Sherlock Holmes is, a, you know, I knew as a whole kind of theme, a genre, uh, and it was a book that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, but I came to one great decision in reading that book, and that is that Sherlock Holmes makes a wonderful detective, but he would make a horrible friend to have. He never ever seems to enjoy anything at face value. Watson is really the most patient person in that book because every single thing he does is scrutinized by Holmes. He never accepts anything on face value. There's always a deeper meaning. He's always under, uh, unpacking everything you do. If you buy a Mars bar at the shops, he's going to tell you that has some deep existential meaning about your life. Every detail is pointing to something else for Sherlock Holmes. And for some people, this is how they see Christianity and how you become a Christian. You need to be a seeker, someone who is actively looking for God, who is looking for that meaning, who is uncovering every rock, who is looking behind every tree, who always has to find that deeper meaning. And there's a sense in which when we read the Bible, we can understand how you might come to that kind of conclusion. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and the one to who, uh, who knocks, uh, the door will be opened. Uh, the message of the gospel from that perspective is really clear. Uh, God isn't a distant and unknowing God, happy to remain a mystery. In fact, uh, one of the unique elements of the Christian story is that uh, Our faith is based not on our ability to look behind the rocks and to find God, but actually the fact that God, in his grace and mercy, reveals his nature and character to us. We can see this throughout the Bible. It begins with God choosing a particular people for himself. Again, not that he shouldn't be known by others as well, but that right at the beginning of Israel's story, what do we hear? That all of the people on earth will be blessed through Abraham, God picks Abraham as his special person and his children will have a special relationship with God. 
but all nations will be blessed through them. And throughout the centuries in the Old Testament, we see God speaking in a range of different ways. He speaks from a, uh, from a burning bush. He speaks through prophets. He speaks uh, to his people in an abundant amount of ways. And as they're hearing about God and they're hearing about themselves and they're recognizing their own uh, uh, sin and things like that, uh, they are looking forward to that moment of the God's greatest revelation to them, uh, that God himself takes on human flesh, that the author of creation enters as a character in his own story, and Christ, who is both fully God and fully man, comes uh, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, and in rising to new life, to offer people a new start with him. Jesus is the one who himself says, ask and seek and knock and you will find. Even better, Jesus promises that God's Spirit is at work inside people who are looking for God. And Ephesians 2 reminds us that even the desire we have to know God isn't something that comes from ourselves, but it is a gift from God. Seekers will find. But here is where we might have a problem. What if I am somebody who does find, but the news I find out is that I haven't won the $291 million, I've got the $7 uh, victory, or even worse, maybe it's bad news when I find God. Uh, for a number of years, I was uh, a, a minister in a, an Anglican church. Uh, this is the beautiful uh, sandstone church that I had, uh, St. David's in, um, uh, in Kingcumber. And I couldn't count the number of times where I would have exactly the same conversation with somebody as uh, we'd be waiting out the front uh, for a baptism, and a guy would come up to me and he would say, I don't know if I should go in the building. I'm pretty sure it's going to fall down on me if I do. If you knew some of the things I'd done, you'd understand that the church is not a place for me. And every single time I'd laugh like that was the first time I'd heard it, not the 101st time I'd heard it. But also there was a small part of me that died inside every time I heard that phrase. As if the church is a place they think is only for the angelic. To be a Christian means that butter can never melt in your mouth. That makes sandwiches really hard to eat. Uh, uh, that you have to be a person that is always perfect, always has a starch collar, always have his, has his life together. That Christianity is about people fitting a particular mold. You have to look at the right way to be part of God's family and to think that these people believed that was the reality. In 2013, there was a, a kerfuffle in the USA when a reporter discovered that the American clothing company Abercrombie & Fitch uh, didn't make clothes in women's sizes uh, XL or larger. Uh, for men, larger sizes were fine. Men can be what, you know, whatever size they want. But it came out that the CEO of the company had said this, if we want to be a beautiful brand, then we only want beautiful people to wear our clothes. And so he was happy to enforce this specific view of what beauty looked like. You can only be a certain size if you're an Abercrombie and Fitch person. Is that the Bible's account of good news? That it's only for seekers who fit into skinny jeans? Well, Jesus himself is unequivocal that my friends that I'd meet out, out in front of the church and that the people who might hear an Abercrombie and Fitch kind of message, they couldn't be more wrong. Look at how he responds when the teachers of the law uh, speak to him saying, why are you hanging out with these unworthy people? We read in uh, Mark chapter 2, uh, when the scribes who were Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, 
it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. I've been in full-time ministry for 15 years, and uh, one of the realities of where, is when you do a lot of preaching and things like that, uh, there are certain habits that I have. Some of those habits drive me nuts, and so I'm helpful when people tell me about the things I do. I know I do that a lot when I'm talking about uh, uh, size things in, in what I'm preaching about. Uh, but there are, are some things that I am happy to repeat every single week. There are some things that I hope I never stop saying when I'm standing in front of a microphone. And one of those things, which I do say regularly and I will continue to say, is that there is no sin so great, no secret shame so shameful, that it puts you or I beyond God's boundless love. That is, Christ didn't die for people who belong in a sandstone church, who look like they're perfect and they have it all together. Christ died for sinners. For those who've been seeking God, it starts by recognizing that we are imperfect and that we come to God with empty hands, that we need him. And for those who might feel that God is far off, or more accurately, that they are far from him, we're reminded here that Jesus loves them and that the Bible says that God cares for them, for you and for I, and that even though we don't fit the mold, that's the exact mold that God loves, that he calls sinners into a life-changing relationship with him. Better still, the Bible says, not only can God save you even if you feel like you are separated from him, but that God can take you and use you as the means by which he shows his love for others as well. What a delightful thing that when we open up something like Romans chapter 10, that we know we're hearing from Paul, who himself was a persecutor of the church. That in Acts 7, as Stephen is stoned to death, Paul is the one that is holding people's cloaks so that they can get a better wind-up when they throw a stone. But the God who is rich in mercy called Paul to himself. He saved Paul through the blood of his son Jesus, who died for sinners and rose again. And then God used Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles, to the nations, because he had a more powerful ministry to sinners, because he was so aware himself of what it was to be saved from being distant from God and unworthy. God saves seekers. He loves to reveal his nature and his character to people who want to explore God and they want to get deeper into his word. But those seekers are also sinners. And this means that all of us come from that perspective. The famous English cricketer and missionary C.T. Studd famously said, some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. The little rhyme I've always loved because it captures the idea that the gospel isn't just news for uh, people in beautiful buildings with beautiful lives, but that the gospel in God's real church is right where the action is, where people uh, are in desperate need of hearing this good news because they do not and they cannot earn it themselves. It's the promise of a great treasure for someone who doesn't even have a lottery ticket. And this is the news that we share joyfully because we know it applies to everyone, that it's on offer for anyone. And it's why Romans 10.9 is my favorite verse in the Bible. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have a God that makes a universe of infinite complexity and yet God makes an offer to sinners of infinite simplicity. 
that we confess that Jesus is the sinless Son of God who sits at God's right hand in heaven, and that we believe that thing that was witnessed by hundreds and hundreds of people in the New Testament, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that is what we need to be saved. But of course, we know as Christians that's not the end of the story, that God saves us, but then he also sanctifies us. That, he, that is, he makes us more holy as we spend more time in his word, that we come to understand him more deeply, we become more like Jesus in our lives. But it always starts with a simple confession and a simple belief. As verse 11 continues, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My friends, if you've been holding off becoming a Christian because you feel that there's something that you need to sort out. Some self-improvement that's required. Maybe I can take the next step when I read my Bible every day for 30 days in a row or if I've come to church a hundred times or if I've helped 50 old ladies across the street, that's when I can step into a relationship with God. If you've been looking for a sign, well then this is that sign that we can grasp onto the infinite simplicity that when you put your trust in Jesus then that is all you need to do. There's nothing more you have to earn, no other way you have to be better or faster or smarter. You need to come to him with empty hands and God will love to end, uh, welcome you into his family. And if this is you, I'd love for you to come and tell me after church or tell me uh, or someone sometime soon because we'd love to celebrate with you about this. But maybe this has already been you. This has been your story for some time that you know what it is to have new hope and new life. And if that's true, then hopefully the simplicity of the gospel message is so good that it's something that you are keen to go out and share with others, uh, even if those people are stubborn. Uh, one of the most uh, fascinating stories to come out of uh, the end of World War II is the story of the Japanese uh, officer Hiru Onoda. Has anybody heard of this guy before? I want to. Uh, in December 1944, he went to Lubang Island in the Philippines to hamper the efforts of the enemy soldiers. And uh, uh, Lubang is a fairly remote area, so it's understandable that he didn't actually hear uh, when a bomb was dropped on Hiroshima or three days after that that there was another bomb dropped on Nagasaki. It's also understandable that when Japan formally surrendered in September 2nd, 1945, uh, it was common knowledge to people throughout the world, uh, but it was mostly unknown in Lubang. What makes Hiru Onoda so fascinating, though, is that he continued to fight his war against the Allied forces for another 30 years after the end of World War II. For 10,950 days, Hiru continued to harry local farmers and attempt to disrupt the lives of the locals. For over a quarter of a million hours, he kept on following what he believed to be the truth, living in squalid conditions, struggling to feed himself. Uh, slowly, he had some other people with him and they slowly all disappeared. But he kept on going with his unwavering beliefs. Amazingly, during that time, they tried a whole bunch of ways to tell him about what had happened. In the first months, there were leaflet drops that happened. But of course, Haru knew that the Japanese people could never be defeated and so he knew that was just propaganda to stop him from his mission. 
Uh, Later on, they dropped packages containing pictures of friends and family and uh, notices particularly to him. And he said, that is just the devious nature of the enemy. And he continued to fight. Finally, after almost 31 years, Onoda finally surrendered when Japan tracked down his commanding officer from his training in 1944, flew him out and then took him out into the jungle so that he could speak man-to-man to Haru Onoda and to tell him that the fight was over. Again, there's a sense in which we can understand and maybe even appreciate somebody like Haru Onoda. For him, it was unthinkable to think that the mighty Japanese culture could ever be defeated. Emperor Hirohito was treated almost like a god, so the idea that he would sign a surrender is almost unbelievable. For him to acknowledge that all of this meant humbling himself in a painful way, that he would have to say, I've wasted 30 years of my life, you could understand how he might be unwilling to do that, that he would be stubborn. But they continued to try and reach this man because the good news that they brought was so much better than the news that he was holding on to. There was a world that was waiting to embrace Haru Anotta. His family longed to be able to hug him again and to, and to welcome him back into the family. He ended up having a 40-year career after this time. And how much more amazing is it to know that he would go and have a successful career when he could have spent 40 years slowly rotting in a jungle? Friends, if his story is amazing, how much greater is that story that for every person that we go out and share with the gospel, they are people that can move from death to life, from people that have maybe a a 50-year ending of their understanding of what their future holds to an endless horizon, the promise of eternity. God calls people not to stubbornly ignore the one who made them, but to surrender to Jesus who died on the cross for their sin and who offers them eternity. And how much clearer is it that we need to persevere with this good news of the gospel for them? The gospel is good news for the stubborn, and so we need to be willing to share it with them. Because the gospel is hard for people to take. It can feel like propaganda when the world tells us that we're awesome, but the Bible tells us that there is sin in us. It can feel painful to have to admit that we can't work things out by ourselves and that we need the help of somebody greater than us. But we continue to share it because the good news of the gospel is greater than all of that death to pride that people have to take when they acknowledge that they aren't enough and that Jesus died for them. Far greater than the discomfort that we might feel in sharing that news even though we might be rebuffed many times. Verse 14 of our reading. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach uh, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Our friends, we are committed to declaring the good news of the gospel to the people of Orange. And we're committed to sending people out to share this good news because it's not just good news for people in Orange. It is good news for people in uh, Nigeria and Cameroon uh, and uh, Asia and Africa and Antarctica, anywhere where people are willing to go and declare it and by God's grace to hopefully declare it in the heart language of the people who hear it. We are committed to bringing hope uh, to a world that needs it. 
and we are committed to sharing it with people who might be seemingly self-sufficient. Because, friends, we live in a world that wants to tell you a million different ways uh, that you are enough, that you have enough good news on your, of your own. I can collect enough things, I can have enough relationships, I can be successful enough at my work that that means it's good news for my life. But friends, uh, you might feel like you've won that lotto, but it's the $7 ticket next to the great $291 million one, one that's actually infinitely better. Because as we've seen over these last uh, four weeks, God is the one who offers real and deep and meaningful fulfillment in a way that the things of this world that we can touch for just a moment won't give us. God is the one who says, I can give you an enduring sense of identity, that the way that we define ourselves and the way that we define others are changes with the whims and, and tastes of society, but God gives us a foundation that is unbreakable and unshakable. Uh, that God knows us better than we know ourselves, and yet he loves us with an everlasting love. Uh, but best of all, God is the one who offers good news to anyone, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, uh, we will be saved. And friends, that's good news that uh, we can hear, and God willing, this is good news that we can share with others as well. Uh, let's pray about that now. Let's bow our heads. Uh, Lord, we do thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you love to answer people who are looking for you. But you also long for people who are stubborn. Uh, people who feel unworthy. People who feel far away from you. Uh, to hear the good news of the gospel. To know it is for them. And to come into a saving relationship. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would assure us of our salvation and even when we feel weak and unworthy, that you might use us to declare your goodness to Orange and into all of the world. And we ask this through the one who brought us this relationship, uh, your son Jesus. Amen.